Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online, later on demand, or listening to our podcast, our prayer is for you to experience the life-changing power of God in your life today. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because our team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. We're just like you, imperfect people on a journey. We're allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives, learning to live like Him, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. Even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of His followers, well, this is still a great place a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking those same questions and looking for answers too, so I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Well, if you are a guest today at Dayspring, you've picked a great day to check us out. Uh, Today, you're going to get an insider's view of how people grow at Dayspring. As we do about once a year or so, we are going to dust off our discipleship strategy and talk about something that is near and dear to our hearts, spiritual growth. We all need a reminder every now and then, and September seems like a good time to recharge some of the spiritual rhythms that we've let go of during the summer season. Now, here in the room, you should have been, you should have picked up or been handed a printed copy of our discipleship strategy. Uh, if you don't have one, you can run back to the back really quick and get one. Uh, why don't you pull it out now? Uh, for those of you watching online, if you want to pause the message, you can head over to our website, download the discussion guide for this message, and you'll find an electronic copy of our discipleship, uh, discipleship strategy on page two of the PDF. Uh, We take seriously our calling to become like Jesus, to think like, talk like, and act like Jesus. Everything we do is intentionally focused toward that end. To believe, from the Bible's perspective, is far more than just intellectual agreement. Like, I believe that this stool will hold me up if I sit on it. That is intellectual agreement with an idea But it doesn't become real belief the way the Bible talks about belief until I actually sit on the stool. Biblical belief requires action. So to just say we believe in Jesus requires us to change our lives, to orient our lives toward him, to surrender our will for his will. Ultimately, when people look at us, we want them to experience Jesus in us, in our words and in our actions, uh, something that will only happen when our spiritual roots have sunk deeply into the Word of God and we have become spiritual adults. 
That will only ever happen if we are intentional about our spiritual journey. The Apostle Peter uh, put it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1. He writes, In view of all of, all of this, make every effort, not make some effort, or just kind of fake your way through it, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in uh, your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But... Those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, just to be clear, we don't work hard to earn our ticket to heaven. Uh, Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. The perfect sacrifice of his shed blood covered the debt we owed. When we decide to believe and surrender our lives to Christ, we are instantly justified. Christ is the justification of our standing with God. Uh, from the moment we believe... God sees us as holy through the lens of Jesus' blood. We are changed on the inside. Where we were once spiritually dead because of our sins, we are now spiritually alive forever. We are made new. That's what it means to be justified. Jesus justifies our standing with God. But though we are now alive spiritually and have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living in us, we still live in a broken world with a broken mind and body. And it takes time to align how we live with how God sees us. So we begin a journey that we call sanctification. Justification is completely a Jesus thing. Only he can justify. But we work in partnership with the Holy Spirit for our sanctification, which is the churchy word for the journey of becoming like Jesus. Thinking like, believing like, and acting like him in every season and circumstance of our lives. Which brings us back to the word believe. What we see in these verses from the Apostle Peter is that, that the action required to prove our belief is commitment, dedication, focus. James, the half-brother of Jesus and one of the leaders in the early church in Jerusalem says in James 2... What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Now, all that to say, we don't work for our salvation, but from our salvation. Our works prove what we already have. They don't earn it. 
Okay, so back to our discipleship strategy. What you have in front of you is based on the work of Greg Hawkins and Kelly Parkinson in their book, Move. Uh, Greg and Callie were part of a group that surveyed more than a thousand churches of every size, denomination, and geographic location in the U.S. More than 250,000 people from those churches chose to participate in their discovery process, including Dayspring. Uh, They were looking to map out the spiritual journey and find out how people grew spiritually and why. Our discipleship strategy is a visual representation of what they found combined with a bit of work on our end. The spiritual journey isn't a journey that follows a linear or straight line. It is a complex process as unique as each individual. And it progresses at a pace that's determined by each of our circumstances, the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and our willingness to participate or grow. In spite of that complexity, there also seems to be a simplicity in the general progression. In general, spiritual growth progresses over a continuum of four segments or four stages. Moving from those who are exploring Christ, which you see on the left side of your sheet, to growing in Christ, close to Christ, and finally on the right side, Christ-centered. So even though we're all on a beautifully complex and unique journey, once we choose to follow Jesus, there are three stages of increasingly spiritual maturity towards spiritual adulthood. Now, while this is the general pattern, there will always be an enormous spirit-led component that is tailor-made for each one of us. So don't get stuck if something doesn't exactly fit you. Let's start out on the right side. Christ-centered. Now, we're going to come back to this column in a a few minutes, but this is the fourth stage of the spiritual journey continuum. Uh, We might also call these the characteristics of a spiritual adult. Uh, Not a comprehensive list, but a reliable enough start to describe a spiritual adult. This is what we are aiming for when we say we want to think like, believe like, and act like Jesus. This is the target. The next column to the left is labeled close to Christ. If the Christ-centered column is a spiritual adult, this column represents a spiritual youth. And the next column to the left, growing in Christ, represents a spiritual infant. Now you can let your imagination lead you through the thought process, and you'll come pretty close to what we mean. Although, we don't automatically grow from one stage to the next or on a schedule like we do physically. Uh, The far left column, labeled Exploring Christ, describes a person who has not yet decided to surrender their life to Jesus. They are, as the label explains, exploring. And if that describes you today, we want you to know how honored we are that you have chosen to explore Jesus with us. Uh, Let us know what we can do to help you get the answers you need to trust Christ. Now, most of the rest of the conversation today concerns itself with uh, only with the other three columns. So let's go back to the Christ-centered column on the far right. This this describes spiritual adults. And spiritual adults generally possess these characteristics, which mark the life of one who has a relationship with Jesus. First, although these are in no particular order, a spiritual adult takes personal responsibility for all facets of spiritual and emotional health and development. Now, is this completely true of you. A person who takes 
personal responsibility doesn't need someone to hold them accountable for spiritual growth. They probably have accountability as a matter of wisdom, but they are on it even without that accountability. If this is true of you, when, when you get to a place when you are stuck, you solve the problem so you can get unstuck. You don't allow yourself to stay stuck. You don't, you don't need someone else to feed you. You are preparing your own spiritual meals. That doesn't mean you don't ask for help when you get stuck. Just that you drive the process of getting unstuck. You don't expect someone else to drive it for you. Uh, when you don't feel particularly motivated, you have the discipline to do it anyway. Because our spiritual health is linked to our emotional health, a spiritual adult is also an emotional adult. They've dealt with the baggage of their past and it no longer holds them back. In fact, they've begun to use it for the glory of God. Now, if it helps you to compare your zeal for growth to the Apostle Paul's zeal for growth for a frame of reference, then do it. But as a rule, be careful about comparing yourself to anyone else. Looks can be deceiving. You never know what's going on inside of someone else. And you are on your own journey. It's okay that yours looks different from someone else's. My journey looks different from Didi's, and that's okay. But if that statement doesn't reflect where you honestly reflect where you are yet, then work your way backward to the column to the left. It looks a little different for spiritual youths than it does for spiritual adults. And then again, work backward if the description in the close to Christ column doesn't reflect where you are. If you don't understand what something means, then that bullet isn't true for you in that column. Now, in no way should you feel bad or guilty or ashamed as you figure out where you are. Besides the fact that none of that is helpful uh, to your journey, none of that comes from God. You might feel some conviction. Conviction is good. It comes from the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Pay attention to conviction. It gives you clues as to what God wants to do next on your journey. But toxic shame is a tool of the enemy. Ignore that. Now back in the Christ-centered column, the second bullet is faith proven over time and through significant testing with increasing confidence in and surrender to Jesus Christ. Life is filled with deep, dark valleys and joyous mountaintops, lonely barren deserts and vibrant lush oases. A, a spiritual adult over a long period of time has not just endured difficult circumstances and challenges, but learned to trust even more in God's sovereignty, wisdom, and faithfulness. Valleys and deserts and oases haven't broken the, the spiritual adult's faith, but made it stronger. A spiritual adult is actively pursuing intimacy with Jesus through spiritual exercises, including, but not limited to, daily Bible study, prayer, corporate and personal worship, active church membership, sacrificial service, solitude, and fasting. These are activities and exercises that we participate in not to earn God's approval. We already have that. We already have that through Jesus. But we do them from a place of God's approval, motivated by our love for Jesus. We simply want to live in communion with him, and these things help facilitate that intimacy. A spiritual adult understands and can explain, defend, and live out biblical theology. 
We've already talked about the theology of justification and sanctification. There is much more than that written in the pages of Scripture. A spiritual adult has a good grip on at least the basics of theology, and their lives are lived consistently aligned with the theology of God's Word. A spiritual adult has a fully integrated understanding of stewardship demonstrated in tithing and service. As Christ followers, we believe that everything we are and everything we have belongs to Christ. And we are simply stewards of his resources. And we prove that with the way we sacrificially give our time, talents, and treasure. A spiritual adult is motivated to serve in love, modeling the character of Jesus, consistently demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. I say consistently because no one but Jesus can do this perfectly. But but the spiritual adult, adult is owned, if you will, by the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the flesh. Their lives are characterized by ever more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Two more. A spiritual adult lives a grace-filled life marked by unity and accountability in authentic Christian community. You cannot be a spiritual adult apart from authentic Christian community. God did not design us to be spiritual lone rangers. In fact, science proves that we don't grow the way God designed us to apart from deep spiritual relationships. And then a spiritual adult intentionally lives out the Great Commission in everyday relationships as well as serving those in need in their community and around the world. Basically, you aren't really a spiritual adult until you are part of multiplying Jesus in our community and around the world. That is, you are having spiritual babies and helping those spiritual infants grow to maturity. Now, as with that first bullet point, if what is written in the Christ column, Christ-centered column doesn't fit you yet, work your way backward to the left. Don't be surprised if some of the characteristics that apply to you are in different columns. You are a person in process, and that process doesn't happen evenly and equally between those characteristics. Now, I know this is, there's a lot to process, and now really isn't the time to process it all in depth. But in order to set the stage for where we are headed in this series, we need to have a common understanding of what the spiritual journey looks like. Plus... For those of you who have seen this before, this is a good time to consider what has changed since the last time you looked at it. How have you grown since then? If this is new to you, I would highly encourage you to talk to Pastor Michelle about Explore 201. That's where we go into this more in-depth and personal with you and think of your spiritual journey specifically. And we, we think every day springer should have that conversation Your spiritual journey is too important to not have that conversation. Okay, Uh, now that we've, we've got a bird's eye view of the four stages of the spiritual journey, we can turn our focus to the arrows between the columns. These are the spiritual beliefs, attitudes, and activities done alone and with others that move us from here to there. In all, the survey of 250,000 Christians found that 25 beliefs, attitudes, and activities were the most effective catalysts for spiritual growth. 
Not all of those 25 catalysts uh, carry the same weight at each stage of growth. Some catalysts have more impact on the, the, the earlier stages of Christian maturity, uh, and other catalysts have more impact on the later stages of the Christian experience. In the three columns of arrows that point from ex exploring Christ to growing in Christ, and then from growing in Christ to close to Christ, and then from close to Christ to Christ-centered, in each of those columns, you'll see that five of the catalysts are yellow and the rest are white. The yellow catalysts represent the five most effective catalysts in moving from here to there. Note that the reflection of and study of God's word is the only top five catalyst for all three movements. Never underestimate the power of God's word to shine a light in your dark places and grow you up. Isaiah 55 tells us that God sends out his word and it always accomplishes its purposes. It never returns void. Now it is these catalysts that help us grow. But when you think about growth, don't start with the catalysts thinking, oh, I've got I've to be in my Bible more. S don't start that way. Start with the characteristics in whichever column you're aiming for. Start with the who of what you want to be, and only then figure out the best what that will help you become who. For example, if your who is a fully integrated understanding of stewardship uh, demonstrated in tithing and service, find the catalysts that help you become a good steward. Obviously, tithing is one of them, but it isn't the only one. Service has a couple of different catalysts to choose from. Mary Schroeder is trying to be a person who intentionally lives out the Great Commission, the last bullet point in the Christ-centered column. Now, I don't know whether she did this intentionally or God just led her this direction, but the catalyst that is moving her toward her who is evangelism. The, this summer, she began working with Child Evangelism Fellowship as she hosted a backyard Bible school in her, in her backyard. <laughs> Her husband, Rand, lives this who out with the serving those in need on my own catalyst. Uh, for the past three or four years, without any help from the church staff or leadership other than cheerleading, he has been the driving force behind several projects serving some of our older saints. New decks, new roofs, new bathrooms, and other projects that those older saints couldn't afford to fix on their own. Now we could go on and on, but we need to move on or I'll have to buy us all lunch. So now we get to our new series, Stuck. Now hopefully you're beginning to understand that ideally our spiritual journey is one of continual forward movement. I like to think of it like a river. This is a picture of the Amazon River out of the northeastern city of Iquitos in Peru. Iquitos is a city of about 150,000 people. It is only accessible by plane or boat. Uh, while there are roads in the city, there are no roads to the city. Uh, when the Amazon floods during rainy season, it becomes very marsh-like in many areas, and the roads just wouldn't be possible. Uh, I was in Iquitos with Joaquin several years ago. He's my traveling companion when I go to Spanish-speaking countries to explore mission opportunities. Uh, we were scoping out uh, the support for a worship conference, and while we were there, we took a tour of the area by boat. 
It was flood season, so the water had filled in the ground of the forest all around us. At one point, we were on a tributary off the main river, a a place where multiple Hollywood movies had been made. Uh, You know, the kind where people get eaten by big snakes or fish with sharp teeth who have rejected a vegan diet. Uh, we, We headed into the forest and could have easily been lost if our guide didn't know where he was going. At the end of our tour, we connected up with the mainstream of the Amazon. I was surprised at what I saw. All of the movies I've ever seen portray the Amazon as a sleepy, mostly peaceful, except for the things that can eat you, kind of river. But that wasn't the case. Here at the headwaters, the sides of the river were like the tributary that we had been on, but the mainstream was rather violent and fast-moving. At about a quarter of a mile across, it was quite a sight. All that to say, your spiritual journey is like that river. It is one continuous journey. Sometimes you're zipping along with the faster currents in the middle of the river. Sometimes you are lazily floating down in the currents by the shore. Every now and then you hit rapids that are catalysts on your journey downstream. They propel you to the next level, spiritually speaking. And then at other times you are lost in some tributary in the woods. Now, here's the deal. I know that every analogy breaks down at some point, but let me tease this one out a little. God designed us to surf the fast-moving currents in the middle of the river. When we are surfing those currents, we are hyper-focused on God's work in our lives, living in faith, surviving on prayer in the center of God's will for our lives. We have no control in that part of the river. At the same time, we know that God is good and faithful And he won't give us more than we can handle. And what I can handle is different than what you can handle. God knows that. We just have to trust that God knows what he's doing and that he'll get us where we need to go. We're along on his ride. And man, hold on when you get to the rapids. Yes, it's scary. But when God shows up, and he does, it's fan-freaking-tastic. The problem is that most of us, like safe controlled lives. As in, we want to be in control of our lives. Yes, we want to be on the journey with Jesus, but we want to control the pace. We want security. We like to be comfortable. The only problem with lollygagging in the slower current near the shore is that it holds a danger of its own. You can get snagged on roots or tangled in vines. You're closer to predators who are very hungry for a yummy morsel of you. And it's easier to get lost in the marshy forest and not realize you're just going in circles, not getting anywhere. In a sense, you are stuck, but you're too comfortable to even notice until you are deep in the woods, stuck, Lost, not knowing which way to go. Fear takes over and leads to a lot of bad decisions that usually involve the anaconda from hell, if you catch my drift. Have you figured out that I hate snakes? But here's the truth. On the Christian journey of discipleship, everybody gets stuck. Everybody. People who are exploring Christ get stuck. People who are growing in Christ get stuck. People who are close to Christ get stuck. And even people who are Christ-centered get stuck. Everybody gets stuck every now and then. 
The problem isn't getting stuck. The problem is staying stuck. The problem is not even recognizing that you are stuck until it's too late. The problem is thinking that you are comfortable when you're really just stuck. Now, people get stuck for lots of reasons. Sometimes they get stuck because of unrealistic expectations. I expected God to do this, but he did that. I expected him to heal, but he didn't. I expected him to provide a certain way, but he didn't. I expected a miracle, and I didn't get it. He didn't come through the way I hoped, and I'm left disappointed and disillusioned. Or sometimes those unrealistic expectations are directed at one of Christ's followers. A Christ follower doesn't live up to expectations. They don't represent Jesus very well, and that gets in the way of my trust in God. Sometimes people get stuck because of unresolved baggage or trauma. I've known lots of people who have gotten stuck in the grieving process after the loss of a loved one. Unresolved baggage is a tough issue for kids, too. Bullying is at epidemic levels among kids. When our son was being bullied, we learned from a very smart dayspringer that every single time a kid gets bullied, it's like they experience a death. Every single time. And the problem is that they don't know how to process grief, so they get stuck in the anger stage of grief, and the longer they stay there, the more damage it does. It leaves them with a steamer trunk of unresolved baggage. And unfortunately, the way the human brain deals with trauma is that it stops developing emotionally the way God intended until that trauma is dealt with. If a kid is bullied at age 12, they stay 12 emotionally until they process the trauma, which is true for all trauma, not just bullying and not just kids. Sometimes people get stuck because of unconfessed sin. Now here I would add a pattern of unconfessed sin. Uh, while I think that most of us, right, the mo even the most righteous of us, sins more than we recognize, the obvious addictions would account for stuckness. But don't forget the unobvious ones as well. The lack of love, apathy, gossip, cynicism, narcissism, and any other number of un-Jesus-like attitudes and actions would count as well. Continuing with the good pastor's alliterated list, sometimes people get stuck because their unmanaged schedule keeps them from the kinds of deeper processing and thinking that would move them forward spiritually. God created us to have space and rest. The enemy does everything he can to steal it from us. Sometimes people get stuck because they are undisciplined with the disciplines that help us develop our relationship and identity in Christ. You could even say they are unwilling to do the work it would take to make their relationship with Jesus deeper and more fulfilling. You could say that, but that would be two unwords in one bullet point. That might be too many. <laughs> But maybe, but maybe because it is overwhelming to think about how far they have to go. Maybe because they let non-essential junk fill the space that should be reserved for an essential Jesus. Almost without exception, when I talk to someone who is stuck, part of the problem, uh, maybe the biggest part, is that they've been undisciplined in their disciplines. And there are consequences for that. Sometimes people get stuck because they are unconnected to other Christ followers. The Bible is very clear about Christian community. God designed us to grow together. 
our brains are wired for us to grow together. You cannot become everything God has for you apart from deep, authentic, transparent relationships with other Christ followers. One last un. Sometimes people get stuck because they are unconcerned about their lack of growth. They could even be apathetic, although I doubt that it applies to anyone here. You probably wouldn't be here if you were truly apathetic. Maybe because they're, maybe they're unconcerned because they're too comfortable with the status quo. Life is working as it is, so why change it up? The bottom line is, everybody gets stuck. It doesn't matter whether you are exploring Christ or a spiritual infant, youth, or adult. Everyone gets stuck. That's not the problem. The problem is staying stuck. This is another reason God has designed us to grow in deep community with each other. With all of the ways that you can get stuck, it helps to have other people watching your back. It helps to have other people to process your stuckness with. Just because the Christian experience is uniquely personal doesn't mean that we should do this alone. We shouldn't. There's no shame in asking for help. If there's any shame to be had, it's staying stuck because you are unwilling to ask for help, no matter what stage of spiritual growth you are. Now, I realize that I have yet to define what stuck actually looks and feels like. And even though I'm going to try, don't let my feeble attempt limit your thinking. That's why I started with all of the uns we just talked about. I think they, they paint a better picture. And because the Christian experience is so uniquely personal, how it feels to me might be different than how it feels to you. With that said, don't trust your feelings. They lie. When I was 24 decades ago, B.D., before Didi, I co-led a group of teenagers across the U.S. on a mission trip. We drove from here to Maine and back, some 9,000 miles and 16 states or so. It was a wild ride navigating the country while being thrust into a pseudo-parent role and navigating the ups and downs of teenagers. Great teenagers, but still teenagers. At the time, I had a very narrow understanding of what spiritual growth looked like. And when we got back to Oregon, I was a little disappointed. I had unmet expectations. As I was processing the trip with one of the ministry's leaders, explaining what I had experienced... He asked me one simple question that changed everything for me. He said, how is what you described not spiritual growth? You see, my problem wasn't that I was stuck. It was that I didn't know I was moving. My feelings lied to me. You can't trust your feelings. I've learned to always align my feelings with the truth of God's word. It never lies. But you can definitely feel stuck. Stuck can feel like a long, unending, dry spell in your spirit. Stuck can feel like you aren't being fed spiritually. I think left-brained people uh, feel stuck more than right-brained people because stuck is about your right-brain relational connection to, with God and others. And in order to grow that relational connection, that relational connection needs to come before your left-brain information. You might want to binge last fall's series, Wired, Brain Science and Spiritual Growth. I, I still believe it is arguably one of the most important series we've ever taught. Now, for me, here's one way I know I'm headed towards Stuckville. 
The pinnacle of all spiritual development is love. That's the one command that Jesus left us with. We talk about it often. Uh, the, the last night Jesus spent with his disciples was power-packed with the most important stuff Jesus wanted these men who would go on to found the church to remember. He wanted them to be servant leaders as he modeled for them by washing their feet. He wanted them to protect the unity of believers, which was the heart of his prayer that night. And he wanted them to love. In the Gospel of John, we read that Jesus said, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Before you met me, there were 615 commandments that you had to follow. I narrowed that down to two, love God and love others. But now, now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Now in this one simple verse, Jesus defined what it means to love God. We love God in the way that we love others. The two are inextricably connected. You can't say you love God and then not love others. That's not how it works. The more we love others, the more we prove our love for God. Which means that the ultimate measure of spiritual maturity is wrapped up in our love for others. Everything else, all of those other characteristics of maturity are the byproducts of the way we love others. There's a reason Paul told the Colossian church to clothe themselves in love. In fact, here's the whole section. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. So when I begin to, re to recognize that I'm wearing the wrong set of clothes, that is, when I recognize a lack of love for others in my spirit, Maybe cynicism, intolerance, impatience, or a lack of compassion, or any other symptom of the lack of love, then I know that there's something wrong somewhere. I'm stuck somewhere, and I need to pay attention. Now, what's interesting is that 99.99% of the time, no one else, except maybe those closest to me, so 98% of the time, no one knows but me. So I, I really have to be paying attention to what my heart, soul, and mind are telling me in any given moment if I want to get unstuck quickly. There are, there are cues if I'm looking. If someone notices, then I've let it go too long. Now I have other cues that are more visible to those closest to me. Because I try to live my life in deep community, I value their discernment as they watch over my life and help me become a deeply rooted, life aligned with Jesus man of God. Just as I do for them. They definitely speak truth into my life when I forget who I am. But we'll talk about that next week. Now you, you might wonder at this point if it's worth it. This constant vigilance. And of course, the answer is yes. Yes. If you really believe in Jesus, 
you believe what he said, what he did, what he accomplished on the cross, what he calls his followers to, well, that belief requires action. If you really believe it, you've got to go all in with your life. There's no other way. Too much is at stake for me, for you, for the people we've been called to love. The Apostle Paul put it this way to the church in Corinth. He writes, Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are, trained, are disciplined in their training. They do it to get a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Everybody gets stuck. That's not the problem. Staying stuck is. It's what you do when you get stuck that matters. And what you do will be determined by how you want to run the race. So I'll leave you with this question. Are you running to win? Or are you stuck somewhere in your race? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the holy calling that you have placed on our lives. Thank you that we don't have to earn our, our standing with you, that Jesus has justified us uh, in, in a relationship with you through his blood. And uh, thank you that we don't have to work for that because we could never get there. Thank you that you partner with us as we uh, move toward the righteousness that um, we are called to live out in these broken bodies and this, this broken world. Uh, Father, um, thank you that we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. And that power gives us everything we need to overcome inertia, to get out of this, the sides of the river, out of the the, the marshy forest land to get moving into the center of what you have for us. Father, may we learn to surf the rapids of um, whatever you've called us, uh, the way that you've called us to live out and grow. Um, do your perfect work in us and grow our faith. Deepen our roots. Make us more like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We count it a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. The people who called Dayspring their home church make this ministry possible. Their faithful giving is proof of God's work in their lives, 
and they wanna pay it forward so you can experience the same life-changing presence of Jesus. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God would give you opportunities to use your influence for the glory of His kingdom. And one more thing. Thank you for liking, sharing, and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing.